0: Hi, my name is Lynn McTaggart. Welcome to my podcast, Living the New Science. In these podcasts, I'm covering some extraordinary discoveries by frontier scientists and other new thought leaders and why this changes everything we think about how our world works and also how we should live our lives. Today, I'm going to share with you thoughts about how you can be a new science agent of change. Recently, I was on a call with my dear friend, Jean Houston, who pretty much invented the human potential movement. We were speaking about the Renaissance and how it had occurred after a major epidemic. In this case, a pandemic, the Black Death. That cataclysmic event was one large factor involved in giving birth to a massive questioning of the old and an explosive flowering of the new. Not only in art and culture, but also science, exploration, politics, religion, and more. But even more significant was the effect it had on individuals. It created a revolution, a complete restructuring of our understanding of what it is to be a human being. The Renaissance is French for rebirth, but it was first referred to by Giorgio Vasari in Italian as Renaccita, Renacita Rebirth, renewal, both inner and outer. So here we are now again, after a worldwide pandemic, observing as all our major societal structures collapse, Life isn't working the way it once did, and we know it as we witness the seemingly endless crises besetting us in modern times. The war in Ukraine, the saber rattling in China, the dire financial situation at home and abroad, the serious issues surrounding energy and climate change, the gridlock and corruption in government the unprecedented polarization, and the collapse of entire neighborhoods, all in a sense that we've reached the end of something. The old way of doing things no longer serves. Here in London, where I live, ordinarily a pretty wet place, those in charge worry about drought, about running out of water, about an inability of many of us to afford to heat our homes this winter. When considering all the crises we now face on so many fronts, the sheer enormity of the problems now before us in every sector of our lives, we feel both frustrated by the inability of our leaders to solve them and unable to fix anything ourselves. Most of us throw up our hands and cry, what can I do? What can any one little person do to change anything? This fear grows out of the mistaken notion that the crises in our midst can only be addressed from the top down. But the change that's necessary, the one that would truly solve most problems in our individual lives, our society, and indeed our world, is not just a change of policy, a new law, a new president, a tighter regulation, but a fundamental change of humanity. The change required now must come from the bottom up, from ordinary individuals making individual changes that ultimately cause a contagion of change in their neighborhoods and communities, their cities and even their countries. We need some new rules to live by. We need some tools for a new world, We need to do nothing less than rebuild over scorched ground. This change starts with you and me in the fundamental way that we engage with the world. It starts with a completely new story of ourselves. It starts with a new you and a new me. There's been a lot of facile thinking about evolution, as though a portal to a new world suddenly appeared in 2012 and each of us automatically got equipped with a brand new and more evolved consciousness. But making an evolutionary leap, particularly for all of us in the West, is going to require a good deal of conscious change. Becoming a new human, and by that I mean recovering the life that nature intended us to lead, is going to require a very different set of rules from the ones we currently live by. It's not about fixing what's now broken. It's going to require an ability to envisage new ideas for everything, from how we're rewarded for services to each other to how we relate at every moment. In order to do so, We require nothing less than a major change of story about who we are. Most important of all is to reframe that Darwinian idea, deeply embedded in our psyches and in every aspect of our lives, that in order for me to win, you have to lose. We have to do nothing less, in other words, than to wipe clean the entire hard drive of our competitive mindset. For several centuries, we believed in the necessity of survival of the fittest. It's taken a series of crises for us to understand the error in that thinking and to realize that the tool for our rebirth lies in reframing the idea that winning is all about winning over somebody else. I've studied the latest discoveries in a vast array of disciplines, everything from biology, physics, zoology, psychology, botany, anthropology, astronomy, chronobiology, and cultural history. And the more I do so, the more it becomes clear to me that the lives we've chosen to live are not consistent with who we really are. All the evidence demonstrates that all living things, including human beings, have been hardwired to seek connection virtually above any other impulse, even at personal cost. Other societies live very differently from us, with a worldview more in keeping with the findings of the new science. These cultures conceive of the universe as an individual whole, and this central belief has bred an extraordinarily different way of seeing and interacting with the world. They believe they're in relationship with all of life, even with the earth itself. We see the thing. They see the glue between the things, the things that hold them together. The essential thing for these societies is not the individual, but the relationship between individuals, which they view as a thing in itself. They've understood the essential nature of humanity as a coming together, a communion, and as a consequence, they live happier lives with lower divorce statistics, fewer troubled children, less crime and violence, and a stronger community. They've chosen a better way to live, a more authentic way to be, the way, I believe, that you and I were meant to live. And they do so because they've bought into another narrative another worldview of who we are and why we're here than that espoused by our culture, most particularly by our current science. So what can little I do, you ask? Revolutions happen when a single individual begins to think differently. It was Margaret Mead who penned that now famous quote, Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Movements don't just change the world, they also change human beings. These days, many people around the world are prospering in these troubled times by discovering new ways to communicate, live together, work and resolve differences. And every single one of these success stories shares one thing in common, an ability to harness the fundamental human need to connect or as I call it, bond, and to move past every man for himself to we're all in this together. They evidence a deep understanding that at the very heart of our humanity is a close and interconnected group even the great spiritual leader, Mohandas Gandhi, was a big advocate of staying local and microcapitalism to decentralize economic development. All of these people have started small using ingenious methods of ensuring that they and all around them remain prosperous and in work through a local savings bank of bartered services, or communal savings and loan, or security watch, or food sharing. They're creating a new story. Consequently, they're creating in their own small way a revolution, not only a new way of being, but a new humanity. Take Lucy Wood of Yelverton, a tiny village of 3,000 in Devon in the UK. She was fed up with having to pay exorbitant prices for meat and vegetables from far-flung locations. She wanted to grow her own vegetables, but didn't really have the skill set or the land required. So Lucy sought and received the equivalent of $25,000 of grant money and went on to found Buckland food growers and opened its doors with seven pigs, 17 chickens, five beehives, and a a selection of planted vegetables. The villagers were invited to join the scheme for about $30 on sign-up and $25 each additional year, after which they could choose which group, meat, bees, or vegetables, they wanted to join and help out with. A strict rota determined who tended the plants and the animals each week. All the members thereafter enjoyed the bounty of all this hand-reared meat and homegrown vegetables and enormous cost savings. Wood herself hasn't bought store-bought vegetables for years. Although it's hard work, she says, it's also enjoyable and a good way to build and strengthen her tiny community. She thought differently. Besides food, people have come up with ingenious ways to support ailing local economies. Take Tirunmundi and a group of local business people in Bristol, a medium-sized city in the UK. They were tired of watching the world's financial system in free fall and frustrated by the slow death of local businesses in Bristol, which were closing down and being taken over by the supermarkets or chain stores. From this frustration, an idea came to them. Why not print their own money? Buy and for Bristol. And from there, the Bristol pound was born in one pound, five pound, ten pound, and twenty pound denominations. More than 100 local companies signed up to do Bristol pounds. For instance, a family bakery, the ferry company, the tobacco factory, theater, many cafes, and even a pub. Bristol residents would open an account with the Bristol Credit Union. And then what they do was work with the Bristol Credit Union, Which administered this scheme, and for every ordinary pound sterling they deposited, they'd be credited with one Bristol pound. For the Bristol pound, the Bristol Credit Union came up with a holograph design, a gold foil strip with serial numbers and other security measures to counter forgery. The Bristol Credit Union also had an online banking and support of the local council, so that local businesses could use the local currency to pay their local ca- taxes. Local residents even got involved to help design the logo of the currency on the Bristol Pound website. But the catch was the Bristol Pounds had to remain in Bristol, so every pound you spent there had to be used by the recipient to pay for staff or local supplies or services. In that way, Everybody supported the local economy, Bristol money stayed in Bristol, and the residents gave new meaning to buying local. There's no reason why this scheme can't work in your local area, no matter what country or currency you use. If you can enlist the services of a local savings and loan or credit union to print the money and back it with a national currency, you can do it. How can you renew an area? Take a tip from Grace Boggs, a 96-year-old of Detroit who worked tirelessly with her late husband on radical social change for many decades, targeting community organization and renewal. When Detroit was gutted after the 2008 recession spelled the end of the auto industry at the time, Grace looked upon her city not as a wasteland, but as a showcase for the world and how to continue to prosper and thrive when the old center no longer holds. Consequently, she spent years working on community projects and either had her hand in or influenced a large number, including the Detroit Agricultural Network, where disused lots have been used to plant food. She also set up Detroit Summer to give young people of the area meaningful work centered around such social concerns as the environment or positive teen self-image where little paid work was available. In 1969, a small band of inhabitants of Portland, Oregon, completely reversed the tide of urban sprawl and civic stalemate in their home city by banding into a group, the Riverfront for People and holding a protest of the widening of the riverside roadway. What they wanted, they said, was less highway, more pedestrian access to the river. After two years of discussions, the riverfront for people prevailed. Harbour Drive was demolished, Tom McCall Waterfront Park was created, and Portland still remains a model of accessible and friendly urban life. In the UK, the Coin Street Community Builders, a group of local activists, joined together to successfully oppose large-scale development plans for expensive high-rise housing in a white working-class district of the South Bank along the riverfront of the Thames in London. After creating a center for burgeoning businesses, the community group built state-of-the-art public housing, and a children's center by donating some of the profits from the businesses they'd helped to create, including a luxury Harvey Nichols restaurant on the top floor of the OXO Tower. In this way, the Coin Street Group made use of community private capital as a virtuous circle to fund public services to the less fortunate without the need for a government handout. It all starts, as you can see, with one person thinking differently, and it turns into a movement, which turns into a revolution. Jean and I were talking about how evil is a virus, and during COVID, how conformity was a virus. But there's also the potential of a virus for change and renewal. How do you get started? Form a small Power of Eight group, borrow some ideas from the French salons of the 18th century, which were regular gatherings of like-minded people who looked to the salon to educate, entertain them, and also start their own revolution. People like Gertrude Stein and Sylvia Beach, they were just two of the many women in 20th century Paris, whose salons were famous for encouraging art And the exchange of radical ideas. You can also start what I call building your bond. As I wrote about in my book The Bond, the best way to unite any group is through a superordinate goal. That's a goal only achieved by large cooperative teamwork of two or more people. Engaging in sharing and teamwork tends to transcend differences because it emphasizes the very heart of humanity. We're all in this together. There's a good reason why it works so well. The scientific evidence shows that people who fire together wire together. Whenever a group works together for a common goal, the brains of all parties begin to get on the same wavelength, strengthening the bond within the group. When we work with others for a common purpose we literally get on their wavelength. Coming together in small groups with a common goal provides a social cohesion beyond money, job, or size of property. A common and larger purpose creates instant closeness in any social setting and offers an excellent tool for maintaining cooperation in your own neighborhood. And as many experts in conflict resolution recognize working on a shared problem helps to unite people who are in opposition to each other. And they work even better as a power of eight using the power of intention. So what I've been saying is movements create a revolution. Then they create a revolution inside of all of us. So start now and be sure to post under my podcast what you are doing to start your own revolution. This is Lynn McTaggart helping you to live the new science. And for those of you who want to learn more about creating a Power of Eight group and how to use intention most effectively in your life, in your neighborhood, in your community, in the world, I'm running a special level one course called Intention Essentials, starting on September 24th. Intention Essentials is a great place to start if you're new to my work and courses, even if you've taken courses from other spiritual teachers or read all my books. It's an excellent refresher if you've studied with me but want more training in the essentials, particularly if you aren't achieving your goals. And it's super preparation for my year-long iconic Level 2 course, the Power of Eight Intention Masterclass, which launches in February 2023. You'll discover unique tools to unleash that extraordinary power you have locked inside of you, a power for change in your life and everyone else's. The best way to frame your thoughts, keep them consistent, overcome fear and doubt, and use your mental powers to plan your route to success. Unlike many courses on the internet today, Intention Essentials is live so that you can interact with me and other course members directly on some of the sessions. You'll enjoy seven sessions in total, five in-depth teaching sessions, plus two two two-hour live and interactive mentoring sessions. So you can ask me questions directly and give and get feedback at the meeting to make sure you're doing everything right. So it's just like being in an in-person workshop with me, but for a fraction of the cost of travel, hotel, and meeting. To find out more, go to lynnmctaggart.com forward slash courses forward slash intention hyphen essentials. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting again and talking about more tools for a new world. Thanks so much.